0: If you have a Bible, uh, please take it and, and go to the book of 1 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the back table, um, but if you have one, go ahead and go to the book of 1 Peter. It's near the end of the New Testament. If you hit Revelation, just go back a few books and you'll come upon the small book of 1 Peter. Um, we are not in Luke this morning. Uh, we have been in Luke for some time and we will pick up in Luke next week, but um just wanted to, to pause this week and think about um, what a shepherd is, what an elder in the church is. Um, many of you are here because for the specific purpose of today is uh, Matt Nesper's despedida, their going away party, but also that we are taking time to ordain Matt. That's not a, a word that you probably use in your every common language every day. You say I'm going to ordain someone, but uh, the idea is to to set someone apart. Um, it's something that we have precedence for in Scripture, and we'll talk about that. But our hope is to, to that Matt is heading into ministry, and um, he has been a part of our church for 12 years now. Is that correct? Can you believe it? I know that because my wife and I got married 12 years ago, and they landed here in the States about 12 years ago. So right around the same time. But he's been a part of this church for 12 years. Some of you have watched Matt grow up. Um, that's why I always tell him he suffers from the uh, a prophet has no honor in his own country. Um that it's, it's difficult when you watch a guy in junior high to then you know see him grow up and, and take on these leadership roles. And yet I know our church has been so gracious to him. But we want to um, talk about what a, a shepherd is. Typically when you have an ordination service, I've never done this before, so this is my first time. But typically what people do is the, the message is a, is a charge of sorts to Matt. So you all get to listen in while I tell Matt uh, how to be a pastor. Uh, that's not really what we'll do, but... We'll talk about what what eldership is, and and I will have some specific things directed towards Matt, but there are things that we can all learn, because if you are a member of this church, then you need to know what Joel and I as the elders are responsible to do, Uh, and even just principles of leadership, and how do we lead people? How has God called his servants to lead the church, and how should that translate down into all the realms of leadership, whether you're a parent or a, a husband or someone at work who... Who leads? There are principles that we can learn from this. And so Peter's going to talk to us about elders and overseers and, and pastors. Um, if you were here with us last week, we talked about Peter. You remember where Peter was last week? Last week we talked about Peter's failures. We talked about him at the low point of in, his, in his life when he had denied Christ three times. But today we're going to hear the words of, of Peter coming towards the end of his life after having... Faithfully served Jesus and the church for many years. Uh, the book of the book of First Peter was was written um, by the Apostle Peter to the churches in an area called Asia Minor, which you would know if you know your geography uh, as Turkey, modern day Turkey. It was written to churches that were in that area, um, and as was true for most Christians in that area, was true for those Christians in that area, which is that they were suffering persecution. They were suffering trials because of the fact that they were. Christian. And so Peter's, much of Peter's instruction here in 1 Peter relates to how to live lives of holiness, how to live like a follower of Christ in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of persecution. And, and here in chapter 5, he offers some specific instruction to church leaders, to what he calls the elders in the church. And, and so we're going to think about these as they relate to church ministry. But as I said, they relate to, to all of us. And it's good for us to pause as the church, if we are the church of Jesus Christ, followers of Christ, to pause and to think, how does God want us to operate as a church? How has he set up leadership within the church, and how are we to participate in that? And in 1 Peter 5, and we'll focus on verses 1 through 4, this is kind of the big idea that I want us to think about, and it's this, that Jesus, our great shepherd, has given the church pastors to care for his flock until he returns. That's the big thing that Peter's saying. Jesus, our great shepherd, has given the church pastors to care for his flock until he returns. We'll think more about that as we go along. But let's go ahead and read 1 Peter 5. We'll focus on 1 through 4 and skim a little bit verses 5 through 7, but I want to go ahead and read verses 1 through 7. So the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So, In this passage, Peter begins with an exhortation. Another word that we may not use too much. It's an appeal. It's it's an encouragement. And it's directed specifically to the elders. So I exhort the elders among you. The the word elders here is not just referring to older people, but is referring to a specific office within the church. It's those that are set apart in the church as its leaders and teachers. You may think you've heard lots of terms. What's the difference between an elder and a pastor? What's what's the difference between an elder and a minister? What's the difference between an, an elder and a and a bishop, or whatever other words you've you've heard used for people who who lead the church. And this passage is actually really helpful because it uses the three main words that are used in the New Testament to refer to this office, and it uses them all interchangeably. It it talks about, here we see the word elder. Uh, But also in verse 2, the the command is to shepherd the flock of God. That word is the verbal form where we get the word pastor from, The, the word for shepherd is where we get our English word pastor. And then you also notice that it says another verb exercising oversight, which is the verbal form of another word called overseer. And and Paul talks about overseers in Acts 20. So we have these terms elder, pastor, overseer, and Peter's saying, "Yeah, all of them <laughs> that 's who leads the church that 's what we call them to describe what what they are doing and so th- there's this 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 picture of what this role is supposed to be and so we as a church recognize two two main roles that we see in scripture, and one would be this elder overseer pastor shepherd all that 's all one role uh, and Joel and I are are the elders of this church, and then the other one that we see in scripture are deacons, the lead servants in the church and so Um, Peter is specifically talking to these elders that would be in charge of this church. And he says to them, I exhort, I urge, I strongly appeal to you, I encourage you all. And he's going to give some instruction about what he wants these elders to do. So we should listen to this, right? I mean, Matt, you should listen. We we gave lots of advice. We had a donation council yesterday. And at the end, we had all the guys that were involved give some advice. But think about this. The Apostle Peter says, Here's what you need to do as a pastor. I mean, shouldn't we listen to that? I've got a bookshelf, two bookshelves filled with books, and they are all related to being a pastor, to preaching, to leading the church. And, I mean, I could read all of those books, but but this is God's word. And in these four verses, the apostle Peter who walked with Jesus is going to give us instruction about what the the, the, the leaders of the church should act like. I think this is so important to us and we all need to hear this we all need to hear how pastors are to lead but also how those in any leadership form should walk i need to hear this i don't want to preach these kind of messages because then i'm called to account for what this says and i stand in front of this church that i'm supposed to lead and say this is what an elder is supposed to be like and i'm saying this is what i'm supposed to be like this is what joel is supposed to be like and we are opening ourselves up to say and you need to call us to account to these things so what does peter say well, before he gives instruction, he, he lays out his credentials. He tells people why he has the right to say what he's going to say. You ever have someone give you unsolicited advice? I'll be honest, I'm, I don't respond well to that. I was somewhere recently and I was carrying Gwen and the sun was shining and I didn't have a hat on her head. And I knew what I was doing, but someone made sure to know that I needed to have a hat on Gwen's head. And I responded sinfully to that. I, I did not really, I, okay, whatever, you know, I know what I'm doing. But maybe if that person had paused and told me why they wanted to tell me that, then, then I may have been ready to listen a little bit more. Either way, my response was not right. But here, what Peter does is he's, gonna, he's going to tell us, here's why you should listen. He's going to give his credentials. So what does he say? I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he tells us three things. First, he says, I'm a fellow elder. He says, I'm a leader in the church too. He's saying, I have on-the-job experience that I can offer. He knows the ins and the outs. He knows the joys and the trials of leading people to God. He's not offering the elder's instruction as someone who has never done this. This is something that Peter has devoted his life to. So he exhorts him as a fellow elder. Second, he says that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Think about that. We've been going through Luke, and we've watched Peter, haven't we? Peter Peter walked with Jesus, and he knew all about Jesus, and he knew that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He watched Jesus be rejected by his own people. He, he saw, just recently we saw this, he saw Jesus praying in anguish in the garden. You remember that? He was in anguish, and Peter witnessed that. But Peter not only witnessed the sufferings of Christ in watching them, but also in experiencing them himself. Peter was a witness in the sense that he also suffered. He he knew the truth of Jesus when he said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And Peter was persecuted. He had been imprisoned for Jesus. As Paul says, he probably bore on his body the marks of being a follower of Christ, of being beaten in the name of Christ. He says, I am a witness of these things. He had just told these leaders, he said, don't be, in First um, Peter 4, he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that come upon you. And he knew that firsthand because he had faced trials for following Christ. And so he says, I want to exhort you elders, but I want to exhort you from the standpoint of being a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I saw Christ suffer, and I have faced suffering myself for the name of Christ. And then third, he says, I'm a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Well, wow. A partaker, one who will participate in the glory that is to be revealed. Speaking of the, the coming of Christ to rule and to reign. Peter was a, a child of God, and he had complete confidence that one day he would be with Christ for all eternity. You know, he was there when John 14 was spoken, when Jesus said, "I'm I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He was there. Can you imagine? He stood on the mountain and he watched Jesus ascend into the sky. And then he saw the angel and heard what the angel said. Just as this Jesus ascended up into the sky, he's going to return again to take you with him. He knew the truth of that. He would be a partaker of the glory that is to come. Not only that, but he was a partaker in the present. He knew many of the the joys and the triumphs of being a follower of Christ. Yes, Peter was in prison. But Peter was released from prison miraculously. In the middle of the night, the angel came and unlocked the door. He knew the joys and the the triumphs of being a Christian. He had healed people as a foretaste of this restoration that was going to come. He'd watched followers of Jesus spread the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. Peter had witnessed all of these things. And so in light of all that, he's offering this instruction. In light of being a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a a partaker of the coming glory. He says, here's what you need to do. So we should listen. You know, I've I've never been skiing ever in my life. And if I ever decided to go, which at this point I'm not going to, I don't think. But if I ever decided to go and I met the instructor and he said, you know, this is what you need to do. I've never actually done this. You know, I usually stay just down here and wear the skis and hang out, you know, in the lodge by the fire. But I've never gone down the mountain. You know, I'd say I'd rather have a different ski instructor than, please, someone who's actually experienced this. Uh, On another front, my wife has had five children. I've been there every time. But I would never presume to offer any advice to a woman in labor. I I would never say, it's not as bad as you're making it out to be, you know. (laughs) That would be a really foolish thing to say. But here... I just get the sense that, that Peter is saying I have been there. I have done what I am calling you to do. You know, you think Peter has been on the top of the mountain with Jesus in many different ways and contexts. And he's also come all the way crashing down. He's been through the the valley of denying Christ. And he's experienced the labor pains of being a pastor. That's what Paul calls it. He says it's like giving birth, making disciples. That's what it's like. It's like wanting to see people born as Christians, born again and walking with Christ. And he knew what that was like. So he offers this instruction. Let's hear what he has to say. I think his basic encouragement is this. Shepherd the flock of God among you. That's it. That's what he says, isn't it? I want to encourage you, based on these things, shepherd the flock of God among you. That word shepherd, again, is the word for pastor, and it's not just a verb, it's a command. Shepherd. Do this. This is what you do. You you shepherds. So let me give you three ideas from that statement. Shepherd the flock of God among you. First, elders are to care for, protect, and feed God's people. Elders are to care for, protect, and feed God's people. I think those ideas are at the core of what being a, a shepherd is. It's the image of caring for a flock. And isn't that what a good shepherd's going to do? Of course, we're all supposed to care for one another. Supposed to bear each other's burdens. That's something that the whole church is supposed to do. But the pastor, the elder in particular, is to keep his eyes on the entire flock. Pastors to know how, in God's strength, to help each person. The elder is supposed to keep an eye on sheep that may be wandering away, sheep that don't want to listen to anyone, sheep that are discouraged, people that are in difficult situations. The shepherd should be there to help. The shepherd should be there to rejoice with others. The shepherd should be there to support and to encourage the flock. So the shepherd has to care for the flock. The shepherd has to protect the flock, to watch out for, for, for wolves that would come in, for false teaching or, or sin creeping into our lives. That The elder has to protect himself from sin, but he's also in charge of protecting the flock. The shepherd has to correct false teaching and watch out for for wolves that would sneak in and disrupt the flock. You know, we're all to watch out for everyone, but the, the shepherd has this oversight, as it were. That's I think that word is used, oversight, over the whole flock, is to know what's going on with, with this whole flock and to, to protect it, to keep people from being drawn into false doctrine and to keep people from being drawn into sin or hardened against sin. What a responsibility. Uh, the shepherd is also to to feed the flock. How does the shepherd feed the flock? If you're a pastor, you feed the flock through teaching, through the Word of God, that people need to know God's Word. Not just teaching from the front like this, but teaching in all different contexts, in, in homes and in coffee shops and over the phone and in hospitals and at funerals and at weddings and at the birth of a child, that that the the pastor is to be there teaching and leading people into truth, feeding them with the truth of Scripture and all these Different circumstances. What a high calling, huh? It's weighty. And we can only do that. A a shepherd, an elder, an overseer can only do that in the strength that Christ provides. So I think a shepherd has to be a man of prayer, doesn't he? To ask God for the help to do these things. You know, as an elder, I'm just, it's, it's amazing to think, how difficult that is. That's not as easy as it may sound to, to watch over people, to care for them and to, to feed them and to protect. It's a huge responsibility. We need the power of Christ. This is what Paul says in Ephesians, in, I'm sorry, in Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders. He gives this instruction which I think runs parallel to Peter. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So watch out for yourself and for the whole flock In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Then Paul says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things. The shepherd has to watch out for his own sheep rising up to teach false things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day, to admonish every one of you with tears. Elders must care for, protect, and feed the flock. The second thing I want to say about this phrase, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, is that elders are under shepherds caring for God's flock. Elders are under shepherds caring for God's flock. You notice in verse uh, 4, Jesus is called the the chief shepherd. So he's kind of the, the top shepherd, the main shepherd, and then he has under shepherds, people who are responsible for leading and, and they are responsible for his sheep. It's not, the, the, the church is not the pastor's sheep, they are God's sheep, it's his flock. And Jesus is the one who is ultimately in charge. should never say this is my church. Don't ever call this church Andy's church. This is not Andy's church, this is God's church, this is not Joel's church. This is God's church and God's people, God's flock. So pastors are stewards. They've been entrusted with God's flock, with God's people. And yet, the pastor is a sheep as well, isn't he? That that the pastor is a sheep who is a shepherd that's leading. So a pastor is responsible to the chief shepherd. Not ultimately to the wishes of individuals, but to the commands of Christ. Matt, I encourage you with that. That you are responsible ultimately to the chief shepherd not to the sheep. We serve the sheep, but ultimately the chief shepherd calls the shots. And Jesus, who was our great shepherd, has shown how we lead the flock. We lead it by laying down our lives for them. I think it'd be good just to pull back for a second here and think about this term of God's flock and to recognize that not all people are in God's flock, that there are those who are Jesus's sheep and that there are those who are not. Pastor Henry read from John 10. And Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Jesus says that he alone is the door of the sheep, that no one can come into the flock except by coming through him as the door. And he says that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He lays it down so that he can take it up again. You know, the only people that are a part of God's flock are those who have come to him in repentance and faith, who have recognized that Christ, the chief shepherd, did lay down his life to pay for our sins, that those who have repented of sin and put faith in Christ alone, that's who's in the flock of God. Jesus is always seeking out his sheep, though. He says, I have sheep that are not in this fold yet. And Jesus may be seeking you this morning. Maybe you're not a part of the flock of God. You've never turned from sin and put your faith in Christ, the chief shepherd who died and rose again. Jesus is seeking you out. He's walking through the hills and he's looking for lost sheep always. Maybe he wants to find you this morning. It's interesting then. God has this large flock and what does he do with that flock then? He, he separates it out. There's this universal church, the universal flock, you might call it, but then also it separates into individual flocks. And so there's a flock here at 3415 Bardstown Road. This is God's flock in this specific location. And Joel and I have been placed here as shepherds of this flock and as sheep. And that's what God has organized. I'd encourage you. Are you involved in a a local church? This is the way God has intended, that we would watch out for one another and that you would have people who would watch over your soul and care for you and protect you, and teach you. Well, let me say one third thing. Elders are to focus on those among you, he says. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I just think specifically, Matt, don't don't get distracted. You know, we're given a flock to care for. My job is to care for this church. My ultimate responsibility is not to the church at large, or for another flock, but rather this specific church that's in front of me. You can't be distracted by seeking to care for every sheep that there is. There's a specific flock that God has given you, and he's giving you a flock to care for. Focus on that. And that's enough. I think sometimes pastors get big visions for trying to shepherd the universal church <laughs> and how difficult that would be. And I've heard this quote from Mark Dever often quotes a guy named John Brown. He said this in a letter. He said, I know the vanity of your heart (laughs) and that you will feel mortified that your congregation is very small in comparison with those of your brethren around you. But assure yourself on the word of an old man that when you come to give an account of them to the Lord Christ at his judgment seat, you will think you have had enough. I think that's good advice to remember that any flock, however big that we are responsible as an elder, you're responsible for the souls in that congregation. That's a weighty responsibility. Briefly then, let me say some other things. He gives this command, and then he talks about motivations. And he offers some contrast, things that should motivate pastoral work and things that shouldn't. They're wonderfully worded here, but let me try to summarize them briefly. First, when pastoring, it should be not forced, but freely. And then what he says, he says, not under compulsion, but willingly. Remember, who's Paul writing to? Churches that were facing persecution. And when churches face persecution, who gets hit first? The pastor. I think some of these pastors wanted to get out of this gig. They didn't want to be a pastor anymore, but they felt compelled. They felt forced to do it. And, and Peter is encouraging them. He says, don't do it out of compulsion, but do it freely. He's encouraging them to remember their calling and to serve God as a shepherd freely. And I know that Matt is ready to do it, but there will be days when it's hard. And the shepherd must continue to shepherd the flock and seek that God would allow him to do it freely. The second one is not to earn money, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain. Now, who would go into pastoral ministry to earn money, right? (laughs) Sadly, that's true in our day and age, though, isn't it? People can earn money and become rich and appeal to people to give them money to buy planes so that they can... Uh, fly around the world. It's a sad thing. And and Peter says here, listen, don't do it for the money. That can become an actual challenge. You have a degree in philosophy and from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. What else are you going to (laughs) do? I'm in the same boat. Moody Bible Institute and Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If I'm not a pastor, what am I going to do? I go back to Starbucks. Both of us will go back to Starbucks, right? (laughs) Don't do it for the money. Not eager for money. You could be eager for money, but don't be eager for money. What's he say? But do it eagerly. In some translations say eager to serve. Eager to serve others. That the goal of pastoral ministry is not to make a buck. It's It's to serve people, to love people. Eager to serve others. Eager to glorify God, I think, would be the ultimate thing, isn't it? To see God lifted up and people come to know Christ. That's where our drive is at. And let me just say something specifically, just this idea of money, and probably because we've been going through the book of Luke, but um, if we do it for money, then who will we serve? People with money, people that can help us. Matt, you're going to a rich place, <laughs> place with lots of money. Don't serve because of the money. And I, I love in Galatians, Paul, after becoming a Christian and after this, They separate. They figure out this whole thing with the Gentiles. That that he's going to the Gentiles. They say this. He he says they they sent out and said, preach the gospel to whoever you want. And then Paul, in giving his testimony, says, only they, the apostles, asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. I love that. that that That's at the core of what Christianity is. So don't forget the poor. I think if we're eager for money, if that's, if that's our goal, then we will neglect people who have none. But in doing that, we neglect part of the heart of who Jesus was, that he came for those who are poor in spirit. He came for those who are poor in money too. Don't forget the poor. So not forced, but freely, not to earn money, but eagerly, and then not as a master, but as a model. Verse 3 says, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock, not, not as a master. You know, the, People call you pastor and you feel like you have some sort of authority. <laughs> and maybe you've experienced some of that in churches, some of us have, where people feel they have some sort of authority to domineer over and to tell people what to do. But the position of pastor, of shepherd, is not given so that you can wield power or flaunt some sort of position. A pastor is to lead by example. Pastors have been set apart. We're going to do that. We're going to set Matt apart as we lay hands on him this morning. But but leading the flock is never done by commanding people what to do. It's done by example. I think we've said this often in the book of Luke that that Jesus never calls us to do something that he himself has not done. Jesus never says, go there. What does he say? Come here. Follow me. Everything he tells us to do, he has done. And so you lead by example. You know, a pastors a shepherds call also kind of like a sergeant or a captain. We're in the army, we're part of it, but we have some sort of leadership responsibility. Not a general, so don't act like a general, but someone underneath authority. And as I was thinking about that, I thought about the movie Gettysburg, one of my favorites. And, and in one scene, uh, General Lee says to one of his generals, Longstreet, he says, when the fight is coming, I want you to stay back from the main line. The army has already lost far too many of its veteran commanders, and you, sir, have a very bad habit of moving too far forward, to which Longstreet says, can't lead from behind. (laughs) I think that's encouraging, that we must lead in the front. You can't lead from behind. You can't push people to do something, but you can't say, come and follow me. I think that's the hardest part of pastoral ministry. If it was just about telling people what the Bible said, telling them what to do, anyone could do it. Anyone could do it. But if it's about leading by example, if it's about saying, follow me as I follow Christ, then it becomes a weighty and a hard calling. That's true of any leadership, isn't it? Just do as I say, not as I do, ever work? Those of you that are parents? <laughs> no, it doesn't. We lead by example. We follow. And, and people will follow in that way. So don't, don't get it in your head that you've got this position and you are somehow... Indispensable now to the cause of Christ. Can I give you another war quote? This one from George Patton, World War II. So maybe you can imagine George C. Scott saying this one to you. <laughs> Patton said this, Any man who starts thinking he is indispensable will start staying away from the fighting at the front. He will spend more time in the rear echelons, thinking he is too important to risk going where the shells are falling and men are being killed. This man is a coward twice over. He is afraid of himself and of the enemy. In In war, every man is expendable. Matt, we will set you apart as a pastor, but you are expendable. (laughs) The chief shepherd is not. And he's the one that's in control. And he places us in these roles. Joel and I are dispensable to this church. If we pass on, both of us, this afternoon, the church of Christ will continue to go forward because the chief shepherd is resurrected and will never die. So then just... um, Three real quick things to close us. You can meditate on verses 5 through 7. But um, I think as you pastor, we do it in humility. There's a humility that all are called to, all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Matt, you're in the unique place of being both an elder and also when he says, likewise you who are younger. <laughs> I've been in that position before. You are both an elder and those who are younger. And so you have this Dual responsibility to lead well, but to submit well to elders. And I invite you to help me think about how to walk that (laughs) tightrope. But it's one that we walk, and we all submit to one another in humility. In humility. Secondly, in faith. I think that's verse 7. I love it. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, the task of leading the church is difficult, and there will be anxiety. Anxiety. I know the King James says, casting all your cares. There are heavy cares and anxieties. There's there's pressures and difficulty. And I love that this is right here. He says, Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. What a thought, huh? He's he's not the chief shepherd who domineers over us. He's not doing it for what he can get out of it. He's not doing it out of compulsion. He... He cares. He loves us. And maybe that's a word for everyone that you need to hear this morning. Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. I think sometimes we're reluctant to throw our cares on Jesus. Just like we're reluctant to throw them on each other. We think that we're burdening someone. But know this, that Jesus cares for us. And we as a church want to extend that care to one another. Cast your cares on Jesus and cast your cares on those that are here. Cast your cares on your pastors and on your elders because we care for you. People will come to you, Matt, and they will cast their cares on you. That's it's a privilege, but it is heavy. So give them to Jesus because he cares for you. So in humility, and faith, and finally in expectation, we skip verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's what he gives to all who believe. To all who would follow Christ, he offers up the crown of life. To all who would persevere, he, he says that you will reign with me you will be my flock and i will be your shepherd for all eternity. and there's a there's a, a beauty to the fact that everything is coming to an end. this life is not cyclical. this life is linear and it's coming to an end. a point and when when Christ comes and he will reign and he will give the crown of life to all those who are his followers and we will reign under his shepherding and his lordship and his kingship for for all of eternity and we wait for that day and we we push towards it realizing that the chief shepherd is going to return and he's going to call all of us to account for the way that we have lived. And there's a weighty thing that is placed on pastors that Jesus has said, I am the chief shepherd and I've made you a shepherd over these people and I will come again and hold you accountable for how you led them. That should scare us in a good way. And I pray that... If you are seeking that role, I know there are some here who are seeking pastorship, to be an elder, to let the weight of that sink in. But for all of us who are led by elders, and as we set Matt apart, we need prayer. My goodness. It is not easy. I'm not saying that being a pastor is harder than your job. It's just different, isn't it? There's a responsibility that is placed that God sets people apart. And that's why we do something like this. That's why we're going to bring Matt up here and we're going to pray for him. It's not to take anything away from those of you that are nurses or, or, or doctors or, or you know, sell cars or deal with finances or all these different things. It's not to take away from that, but to realize that there is something that God has called people to that is weighty and is heavy. And Matt, you need help. You need strength. And it's the strength that only God can give. Because you will not do this on your own. You cannot shepherd the flock of God apart from the chief shepherd giving you strength. You will do it under compulsion and not willingly. You will you will do it for money. You will do it because of the power it gives you. So we're going to pray for you. We're going to do that now. We're going to pray for Matt. We're going to have him come up here. Not just yet. Just <laughs> Let me explain what this is. The term ordination is not biblical, but it, it's a biblical understanding. I think the, the more biblical term is, is the laying on of hands. It's something we see throughout Scripture, which happens um, all the way back with Moses. When Joshua takes over leadership of the people of Israel, Moses lays his hands on Joshua to set him apart as the leader. And then we fast forward into the New Testament. We see in Acts 6 that the elders lay hands on the deacons to set them apart. Then we see in Acts 13 that, that Paul and Barnabas are called out of the church, and the church comes and lays hands on them and sets them apart for this ministry. And then in 1 Timothy, we hear all the time Paul is talking about when they laid hands on Timothy to set him apart. In 1 Timothy 5.22, he says, Don't be hasty, don't be too quick to lay hands on anyone. And so yesterday we gathered, as uh, some of the men in this church, Joel and myself, uh, Pastor Henry was there, Trevor, um Drew was there as well, and Eric. If you don't know Drew and Eric, they spent a lot of time with Matt, helping to disciple him. Um, and so they were, we were blessed that they were able able to come. And then also Joseph Payton, who's a pastor here in the area that was a that is a friend of our church, was here. And so we don't want to be hasty. We talked to Matt for uh, our meeting lasted two hours, and just tried to understand where are you at theologically? Do you understand the gospel? Are you a Christian? Are you called to ministry? Do you understand this task? And and sort of, as we called it, grilled him in a loving way. Um, and we're blessed to hear his responses and hear that. Well, and, and everyone affirmed, yes, we agree, and we want to set him apart from ministry. So we have this, you know, this is not, uh, this doesn't make Matt a pastor. And we don't make Matt a pastor. God has made and called him out to this. But we sign this. It says, having been witness of his, witnesses of his life and ministry and having examined him in matters of doctrine, And ministerial practice, we, the undersigned, set apart Matthew Henry de los Santos as an ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to do that. We want to do that publicly. We do it without reservation. And so we will lay hands on Matt. We will pray for him. And as we do that, we ask that you would pray for him. And especially those of you that are a part of this church, that have watched Matt grow and been a part of his growth, We want you to commit that we would continue to pray. In many ways, Matt's kind of the first homegrown, as it were, uh, missionary of sorts that we are sending out. What a, a unique thing, an amazing thing that we can do to send him.